Father, this morning we thank you. We thank you for your love, God. We thank you that in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our ignorance, but God, you're an intervening God. You're an intentional God who loves your creation and desires what's best for us, Lord. God, as we come into this time of worship, we thank you for your word that declares your love for us and your supremacy over all things. We thank you for the way that you confound the wisdom of the world. We thank you that you don't tell us what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. We're a grateful people this morning, Lord, because we know you. To be known by you is the greatest blessing we could ever experience in this life. And so, Lord, thank you for adopting us into your family, for placing us together as family. Lord, thank you for the multitude of ways each of us, Lord, makes the other better, stronger. Lord, how we encourage one another, how we strengthen one another, how we pray for one another. God, we thank you for that. So, Lord, this morning we pray that you would have your way among us. Jesus, we've come here to worship and celebrate you. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll give us ears to hear, that you will do what only you can do. We promise to give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, family. Well, that was some good singing. I just want to welcome those of you that are joining us online. We're grateful for you, thankful for you to be with us this morning. A couple things by way of information you'll see uh, in your worship guide that our starting point class will be starting on the 17th of September. So if you want to be a part of that, if you've never uh, been a part of that class, it's a great way to get to know us. It's a great way to get to know the church. Uh, just figure a lot of things out. It's just a very profitable investment for you to find out uh, who we are and how you might plug in and uh, be a, a part of this family. So there's a QR code you can scan and uh, just let us know you're coming or in a couple weeks you can just come up to the loft in between services that'll meet for six weeks. Also, there's a all of our Disciple group leaders are up in a meeting right now in the loft with Pastor Matt. Um, and then those of you that are disciple group leaders that aren't up there this week, next week that meeting will be during second service. So you just want to make sure you don't miss that. Let's get our Bibles out. Let's open to Ephesians chapter 5. Now if you remember, which, okay, let's just start over. None of you remember because it's been so long ago when we started in Ephesians as we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians. Well, when we started, we started with a series about the family, about marriage and family. And we started midway through chapter 5 where the Apostle Paul talks about marriage and family. And then we looped around and went through the entire book. Well, now we're going to finish uh, the first part of chapter 5, and then um, in a couple weeks we will, have, we will do the last part of chapter 6, which will be a series on spiritual warfare. So, as we're going verse by verse, we find ourselves in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now, before we get there, Let's kind of set our mind around a couple of things so that we're sort of clear, or at least have a, a framework in which to hear. And I thought the best way to do this might be uh, with... There's a lot of moments in Alice in Wonderland 
that I love because they're so bizarre and yet so true and teaching. Uh, but one of them is this moment where Alice says, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? That depends, the cat says, a good deal on where you want to get to. Alice replies, well, I don't much care where. To which the cat says, then it doesn't matter which way you go. You see, that is a very true statement. We've said many times that direction determines destination. Or one of our favorite ways to say this is followship. That's one of our favorite words around here. Followship determines fellowship. Who you're following determines the fellowship that you experience in life. Or just the simple truth of knowing where you're heading makes all the difference in where you end up. The way I want us to think this morning, you can get your listening guide out, is this way. When we choose a hero, we choose a destiny. When we choose a hero, we choose a destiny. The text that we're going to look at in the first section of chapter 5, what happens here is that the Apostle Paul gives us this dichotomy between Jesus as hero, which will be the central focus of our time together next week, and Jesus not our hero, which will be the text that we look at this morning. Now let's read together and you'll see what I'm talking about. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. See that? That's Jesus' hero. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Verse 3, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these words, the wrath of God, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Verse 10. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, some of you hear that and you think, oh boy, I get enough negativity from others. I'm wishing I wouldn't have come to church today. Others of you hear that and you think, well, no wonder people don't like reading the Bible. Or maybe you think, it's about time someone said some hard things. You must be a visitor. This is exactly what our world is, why our world is going down the drain. Yeah. Or then there's people who say, well, I already know that I'm not living the kind of life I ought to. This just makes me feel worse. But if you will let this passage do what God intends for it to do. Here's what will happen this morning. You will discover that it is wonderfully liberating, powerfully impactful, 
and filled with good news. You see, the key to, to understanding Scripture is just paying attention to the words in which you're reading. Just pay attention. Notice that this passage begins with therefore, connecting it to what was previously said. And then also, notice how in verse 14, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, Paul concludes, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, see, that's Paul's way of understanding what has been developed previously. So what Paul's doing is he's simply opening up for us what happens when Christ wakes us up mentally and spiritually. And how does he do that? By shining his light upon us. What we've said about the book of Ephesians is it's like we were, before Christ, we were trapped in a, in a world of mirrors And the only way we knew how to relate to ourselves or others was by the reflection we saw of ourselves or the reflection we saw of others. And so it was just a world of comparison where we never fit in, we didn't belong, we couldn't find purpose, we couldn't find meaning, value, we're just clamoring for things. But God comes into the the scene and he flings open the window, moves aside the, the mirrors, and we look out into this world which the gospel opens up to us, and we realize that everything is now new and different. See, the light of God shines. What used to be dark now becomes visible and evident, and everything changes when we can see now what's true. And we begin to understand who we are in Christ as we understand who God is and how He loves us and what His purpose is. And it's just a beautiful thing. This is why new Christians say things like, where have I been all my life? Do you remember that wonderful feeling? See, some of you are are still in that very infant stage of Christianity, and it's wonderful because every time I get the opportunity to talk to you and you say things like, I've never seen this before. Yes, It's because the light of Christ, see, in verse 13, but when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible, visible. So what the Bible is saying is wake up. Wake up because when you wake up, you realize the world is sleeping in death. That's what you realize. And so the Bible is saying don't go with the flow. Don't go with the flow. Choose Jesus as your hero. Verses 1 and 2. Now if we do that, here's what we can all agree on. We choose Jesus as our hero. We begin to imitate him. And and what happens? Our life will radically change. Agreed? I mean, it will radically change. You just, just think about, imagine... A few moments ago when we were singing, you know, I just appreciate Colby and the choice of those songs in accordance with the text that we're talking about. So the whole time we're singing, I'm thinking about how perfectly matched that is with what our conversation will be. Think about you, you're not a Christian. You, you, you don't know much about Christianity, you come to church this morning and everyone's singing and you're thinking to yourself, there's so many weird things about this. First of all, that all of you are so fanatical that you're up this early when you could have come to the same thing an hour later, two hours later. Second of all, see what we Fine, normal, but we, we just sang three songs about blood. That's weird. If you're not a Christian, you're going, what kind of cult is this? Right? I mean, it might have been 25 years ago when I walked into church for the first time, but I still remember that feeling. 
But see, to us, that's normal because our lives have been radically changed. And, it, and we know this, our future and our destiny has been radically altered. And why is that? Because we slowly become like that which we are constantly exposed You see, we understand that God created us for this purpose, that we would enter into a relationship with Him, imitate Him, and in doing so, we would walk with Him and become like Him. But in creating us that way, so in order for that to work, God created us to be influenceable, right? Which means that the opposite is true as well. Is that when we imitate the world, we become more like the world. So when we become like our Father, well, then we want to be like He is, which is only makes sense. So when you get to verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Why would anyone hear that and retract and recoil? See, the first thing I want you to understand is if you felt in any way uncomfortable or weird or like, uh uh-oh, when when we got to verse 3, what's wrong with you? Why would you feel that way? That's normal. That's who God, who did you think God is? But it just illustrates the fact how we've been influenced by the world. This sexual immorality in verse 3, it's really one word in the Greek, pornea. Which you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out what word we get from pornea. It's the word pornography. It's the world's attitude towards sex. Which is, hey, it's a physical desire. It's natural. It's just like all other physical desires. It's the same thing as when I'm hungry, I eat. That's what the world wants you to believe. That's what the world wants you to to buy into. That whatever you, however you want to express that is your freedom to do so. That's imitating the world. But the Bible, by contrast, it shines a light on God's purpose for sex. So when you become a Christian, when you look out the window of the gospel into the world that really is, you then realize, wait a minute, I have been thinking the complete wrong thing. I've been taught the wrong thing. The world is is selling me Something that is false and fake. See, think of it this way. When you walk in darkness, you walk by feeling because you can't see. And so you're walking by feeling. And so before God shines his light on you, all you can do is feel your way through things. But when the light turns on, you can see that the path that you thought you were on was good is really not good, and now you can walk in the light. You no longer have to go by feelings because you can see. Seeing is a lot more productive than feeling. See, in the same way, so many people feel their way through these big issues. Asking, well, does it feel right? Or I don't feel that way. I don't feel. Well, Christ shines his light. And what we see is that sex is a profound spiritual union between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. Now listen, I want you to understand... Let's just be honest, okay? Now forget it. I'm going to be honest. You just hear. 
I know you're about to have to go to the bathroom or something's about to, but just sit here for a second, okay? I like this awkward feeling. Some of you are like, what's he going to say? So half of us in the room sit in there like, you're like this. Because you're old. (laughs) You're married. And you're like, get him, pastor, get him. (laughs) And all the young people are like, But let's go back to verse 3 for a second. Sexual immorality and all impurity or, uh uh-oh, covetousness. What is that? Now all the people who are going, do you have a problem with greed? Do you covet things? Craving something that God has not given you at this time in your life? Do you have a problem being satisfied? Do you make up words like for you to hide your your covetousness like ambition or drive? See, the conversation just shifts right over to greed. If, you're, if Jesus is your hero, greed won't work any more than sexual immorality will. What makes you dissatisfied? What's that thing that you, you need to, that makes you happy? You need that job. You need that approval. Maybe some of you, you, you really want to be married. Maybe some of you really want to be married to somebody else. Go back and listen to the beginning of this series on marriage. Some of you, you, you long to have kids. Or maybe it's just... Uh, something way more shallow like you just need to lose 20 pounds to be happy or look younger or have a new boat or kill a big deer it's not that any of those things well except for the part about married to somebody else it's not that any of those things are bad Let's clarify. Some guy's like, he said it was okay. <laughs> it's not that those things are bad, but when you, when you desire them because you, they'll make you happy, that's not imitating God. Look at verse 4. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Now see here, what the Bible's referring to is humor that's used to put other people down. Of course, it includes obscenity and vulgarity. But what, what oftentimes people read a passage like this and, and they think, well, God's such a prude. No, that's not it at all. Why does God take such offense to this sort of joking or language? Because it is out of sync with love. That's why. Because what it ultimately is doing is mocking his purpose and creation. You can tell this by, notice the end of the verses, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So Paul's giving us the antidote to foul, cruel, mean speech. How? How does that work? Well, it's simple. 
Giving thanks for other people makes us realize that they are God's creation, made in His image. Giving thanks makes us treat people as His gifts, because that's what they are. See, no one in the light wants to denigrate something God has made. You don't want to do that. Look at verse 5. For you, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's a, that's a tough word, but that's crystal clear. Again, I always wonder as I'm preparing to teach with every statement I'm going to make, I'm imagining what you're thinking when I make the statement. I try to ask God to show me what, what will be the thought that goes through your mind when I read verse 5. And I wonder how many people think, well, exactly what does that mean? And the answer is exactly what it says. It's not a riddle. It's not a mystery. It's a, it's a crystal clear statement written in the language you speak and understand at about a sixth grade level. I really shouldn't have to spend much time talking about this. But unfortunately, I know I do. Because what some of you are thinking right now is, what can I get away with Well, let's cut to the chase. If you're sleeping with someone that you're not married to, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. That's what it just says. Clear as a bell. Now, maybe this is making you feel awkward or nervous or... I mean, you might be sitting next to someone that you're sleeping with that you're not married to. I don't know. But the Word of God is clear. If you have some ongoing fantasy relationship, with someone real or digital, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Don't argue with me. Read your Bible. And the same goes for you if you're here and you're greedy. To which the question might be, well, how do I know if I'm greedy? Well, I feel like if you're greedy, you know that. But let me give you a couple questions to clarify covetousness in our culture. The first thing I notice about people who are covetous is, is that they don't rejoice with those who rejoice. See, a dissatisfied person, you're the, you, no one ever walks around and tells people, hey, by the way, pray for me. I'm super dissatisfied and covetous. No one's going to say that. But you just watch in your community group. Someone will give a praise about what God's doing in their life and then and, and just watch the body language in the room. You'll see covetousness if it's there. The second thing is... Uh, 
You see people that are paying more attention to people's material items or things than to the people themselves. That's a problem. So when you see someone and they're always talking to you about what you have instead of who you are, that's a problem. And if you have a greedy spirit or a covetous spirit, then the third way you would know that is is that you... It comes out in your prayer life. No one knows that but you and God, but it comes out in your prayer life. And you always feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. That you're not getting a yes to your prayers. Well, when we pray for with a selfish motive for selfish gain, we're not going to get anywhere. When you when you treat God like he's Santa Claus in your prayer life, you got a, a, a covetous problem. See, anywhere in life, ignoring the obvious is dangerous. But nowhere is it more dangerous than with the Bible. So trying to tell yourself, well... It can't mean what it says, so I'm just going to move on to the next thing. It's a very, very foolish thing to do. Because you're never going to know the deeper things of God if you ignore what's crystal clear. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, For this is the will of God. You don't need to wonder, search for it, pray about it. It's your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. It's right there. See, understand, God's not opposed to sex. God's not embarrassed by sex. He's not disgusted by it. He invented it. He commands it. And actually, he's glorified in it when it's enjoyed the way it was meant to be enjoyed. In the beginning, when everything was perfect and there was no sin, the Bible says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Praise God. Male and female. That's how he created them. There's no options for switching any of that around. Notice Adam and Eve didn't create themselves, male or female. Just to clarify And what happens? And God blessed them. And how did he bless them? Praise God, he blessed them. He said, and God said to them, hey, you know what? Have a whole bunch of sex. That's in the Bible. But don't do it the wrong way. Don't pervert it. Don't twist it. Don't change it. One more thing, ladies, especially young ladies, if that guy that you're spending time with knows Jesus at all, and he's going to be any kind of spiritual leader in the future, he will heed this warning. And if he doesn't heed this warning, then all he'll ever do is lead you and your family down a path of spiritual darkness and destruction. So get away from him. I think that in every courtship, we don't have time to get into this, but in every courtship, well, let's just jump off it. There's, there's time for you to figure out who it is you're in a relationship with. And here's all you got to do, ladies. It's, a, it's, it's very simple. Have a long engagement. And the truth will always come out. Always. Now I want to make something clear here. Paul is not saying that people who 
struggle with sin aren't going to heaven. Because if that was the case, none of us would be going, would we? Not one. We all struggle. Paul is talking about when you give up the struggle. When you give it up. He's referring to the deliberate, intentional, repeated, settled choices that we make. You see, you can, you can imitate Jesus... But you can never imitate Jesus perfectly, can you? So some of you think, okay, so there's, there's room for error in your actions? Yes. In your motives? No. Got that? God knows you can't perfectly imitate Him. But is the desire of your heart to perfectly imitate Him? That's the question. That's the question. See, here's how it goes. A couple decades of pastoring... You learn some things about this process. You watch people long enough. You learn. This is how it goes. The first thing that happens is we give up struggling. Then we take up defending and end up abiding in our sin. See, you, you, maybe you're married to someone. And you find out or they confess something or whatever the case may be. And now we have a big problem. And so we sit down and we're going to start working through the problem. Here's the first thing. Are they struggling with this problem? Not do they say, oh, well, I'm struggling with the problem. No, no, I'm not asking you that. We know you're struggling. That's why we're having this conversation. But are you actually warring against it? And have you begun to defend it? Because once you move into defending it, you're in the danger zone because you're one step away from just abiding in it. You see, the further Jesus draws us into the kingdom, as we follow him along the path of light, the more we realize how good it is and how wonderful it is. And the more we, we want to find everything in our lives that's contradictory to life in the kingdom, and we want to root it out. We, the more we realize that all things that, are, that, are, that don't go in the kingdom of God are unwise. They're unwise. You see... God's not saying, well, you know, you, you, he gave you a brain. It's not just, well, that's wrong. Why is it wrong? Because, well, I don't know, because God said it's wrong. Well, sort of, but you have a brain. And if the light shined in your life, then you know it's wrong because it's unwise. Because God loves you and wants what's best for you. And he doesn't just say, don't do this for the sake of not doing it. It's because it's not good for you. It's unwise. See, a person who's at war with sin, that's a normal Christian. That's life in Christ. But a person who claims to be a Christian who's defending their sin, that's a whole different category. And it won't be long before they're just abiding in it. The warning comes in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. 
Just a, a simple explanation of, hey, be careful who you're listening to. Don't believe the, what the world's trying to sell you. The wrath of God, it's, it's not at all what most people think it is. Listen, the wrath of God is not him raining down lightning bolts on people that he sees as repulsive or that are behaving in some way that's offensive to him. That's not the wrath of God. Now, he, he could do that if he wanted to, but that's not the biblical picture of the wrath of God. The wrath of God is his settled opposition to all that's opposed to his love and holiness. That's what it is. And so the way the wrath of God plays out in our lives... Now, some of you need to understand this because you might be headed in this direction. So when you get there, you'll know where you are. In other words, how do you know when you go from struggling to defending to abiding? How do you know when you're abiding? Because the wrath of God is now evident in your life. And what is that? It's expressed in letting us have our way. See, when you stop struggling and you start defending, the wrath of God is going to come into your life. Go ahead. Have all you want. See, God's not going to stop you. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't, he's not forcing you. It just simply exposes what's always been true, which is not what we say about ourselves, but what we reveal about ourselves. Verse 7, therefore do not become partakers with them. Now it gets really interesting. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. This is a fascinating passage right here. Because here's what the Bible says. We are light. But not light in ourselves. Light in the Lord. We were darkness, but now we're light in the Lord. So we become light when we're in the Lord. If you're not in the Lord, then you're not light. You're still darkness. So see, this points to a change in us, right? We were this and now we are this. So there's been a change in us. Not a change merely in our surroundings, The change in us causes the change around us. And the way you know the the change around us is a result of the change in us because it endures. When the change around us is simply behavior modification, it won't endure. It'll only be for a short time before it reverts back to what it was. See, Paul, look, don't become partakers with them. Paul doesn't say, listen closely. He does not say, do not associate with these kinds of people. It's not what he says. That's neither possible nor pleasing to God. How will people know the love of God? How will people experience what it's like to walk in light if those who know him remain in holy huddles and don't ever associate with anyone on the outside? See, what God says here is do not become partakers with them, which is a very important distinction. See, Think about, just think about life in general, okay? It's not complicated. You know the old saying that we all live better when mama's watching? 
That's true. Kids behave when mama's watching. Well, we also have a tendency to tell a joke at work that we would never tell at church. Or we have a group of friends that we'll do something with, but we have another group of friends that we would never do that with. Because we ignore the reality that with God, listen, the light is always on with God. In other words, here's what I want you to understand. If you feel this tension between the light and the darkness, one of the huge problems that's almost always at the bottom of that tension is that We live as if, at times, God looks and listens more intently than at other times. Don't live that way. Somehow, we, we, if, we're, if, we're, if we're, we're not imitating Jesus, what happens is we, we live as if God listens more intently sometimes than at other times which is illogical. The light's always on. He hears everything and he knows everything. So whether you're doing it in secret or doing it in public, either way, he knows the same. Right? And so when he says in verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, See, he's saying, don't partake, expose. They're not references to, these aren't references to people. They're references to deeds. You understand how all this works together? Think about this. This isn't, don't, don't, don't go around people who are bad. Yes, go around them. And share the gospel with them. And what happens when you share the gospel with them? It exposes, it shines the light on what's dark. The warning is don't participate. Don't do what they do. See, it's not a reference to people, but to deeds. And that is a huge distinction that we have to get. The light shines... Not to expose people, but to expose the deeds that are ruining people. That's the whole point. Jesus spent his time with who? The prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners. And what was he doing? He was exposing their deeds, but he never participated in their deeds. He shined his light upon them because that is in sync with love because what they're doing is ruining them, is killing them, is destroying them. So verse 12, For it's shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead as Christ will shine on you. Nineteen million people in the U.S. say that they suffer from a phobia. The list of phobias is just maddening it's it's so vast the things that there's a phobia of this and a phobia of that but 19 million people that's a lot of people and there's a contingency of those 19 million people that have a specific phobia called heliophobia heliophobia is the fear of sunlight 
It's this debilitating fear of walking outside and the sunlight shining upon you. Now look, I'm not a doctor and I don't understand all the causes nor the challenges of suffering from something like heliophobia. But I am a pastor and I do know this. There's a whole bunch of church-going people who have this phobia spiritually. This debilitating fear to take your thoughts or your emotions or your attitudes or your relationships or your actions and bring them in the light to God. Why? Listen, if you're a child of God this morning, you should never fear bringing your sin to your heavenly Father. Don't fear the light. The Bible says that we are the light in the Lord. Remember back in verse 10, the passage said, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. See, if you're, if you're here this morning and you, you know there are things in your life that are displeasing to God, why? Why? Why are they still there? That's my question. What, what, what are you going to say this morning? They're still there because I can't quit. Well, hallelujah. Newsflash. God knows that. That's why he slaughtered his son. Of course, you can't quit. But you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. If there are things in your life right now that are displeasing to God, why are they there? Are you a heliophobic? Do you have this irrational, illogical, unbiblical fear of bringing that into the light of God? Why? Do do you, is he your father? Has he adopted you into his family as his child? What are you doing? And if you're not, if you're not his child, if you're trying to sort all this out, and if you think in some way you've got to, you've got to get the things out of your life that are displeasing to God so that you can become a child of God, that will absolutely never work because that negates the need for Jesus. So let's ask ourselves some questions as we end. Let's discern our desire for the light. Am I willing to be totally honest with God? See, we we live in this incredible pressure to appear a certain way in public or on social media or at school or work or even at church. And we feel this pressure to be and act a certain way. Even though in our heart we know it's fake. 
Are you willing to be honest and come to God this morning and say, Lord, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm confused. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm overwhelmed. I'm sinful. I'm discouraged. I'm struggling. And the whole time you're recoiling from the light, fearful to bring it to God, it's all just an illusion in your flesh. He already knows it all. You're not hiding anything. Furthermore, he's big enough to handle our honesty. Because he knew all these things before you did them. It's not like you got saved and then God said, Oh, I didn't see that coming. Am I willing to be totally honest with God? Are you willing? Because listen, I can assure you of this healing never comes in the darkness. It never comes in the darkness. He wants to heal you. He wants to help you. Come into the light. Second question, am I willing to accept God's total honesty with me? Because the two are inseparable. The first question, the second question, you you separate them and... It won't work. See, it's one thing to decide I'm going to be totally honest with God, but it's another thing to say I'm going to accept what it is He says. In my complete honesty, I'm open to whatever God says. We have to understand that oftentimes what God says is not what we want to hear. It's what we need to hear. And listen, I know from experience it's scary and uncomfortable It can be challenging, but it's always right. He's always right. The heart of God is always to conform us into the image of His Son, Jesus. Which is always His good and acceptable and perfect will. It's always what's best for us. Make Jesus your hero. Make him your hero. Let's stand and bow our heads. Lord, we want to respond to what you've said. And I recognize that there are some eager to move from where they are to this altar and to kneel and to bring their shame and their guilt and their sin into the light. They want to respond to the conviction they feel in their heart. Praise God for that. There are some that are still fearful. They're still phobic about the light. Afraid of what the consequences might be or what, the, what, what you might say in response. But Lord, not only do you already know everything about each and every one of us, But in your perfect knowledge, your response to us when we come into the light will always be in accordance of exactly what is the best thing for us to remain in the light. And so thank you for that. And so would you banish all fear from our hearts, Lord, and give us courage to seek after you Maybe this morning is just saying, Jesus, 
thank you for being my hero. Or it's Jesus, oh, I desperately want you to be my hero. And here are the things that I'm aware of that are evidence that you're not. And anything else that I'm unaware of, you make me aware of and I'll confess them. Or maybe it's for the first time, Jesus, save me. I want you to be my hero. Whatever the response is, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you because we know that you're good and everything you say is from a heart of love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.